Hey you, and welcome to the pod for POCs, the show where Black, Indigenous, and people of color, aka BIPOCs, can come to have conversations about their college experience, life advice, and really anything on their mind. Hope you enjoy! Welcome back to the pod for POCs. Today, we'll have our first episode on our first season, which is covering identity. And for the first episode, we have Sarah kicking us off. Sarah is a current student at the College of William Mary studying neuroscience, and I'll let her just introduce herself uh, with her name, a little bit more about what she studies, and some things that she's involved with on campus. Sure. Hi. I'm so happy and just really grateful that you are including me in your podcast, so thank you for letting me be here. Uh, Like you said, my name is Sarah Martinez. I use the pronoun she, her hers, and I am a current senior at the College of William & Mary studying neuroscience and minoring in public health um, on the pre-med track, so my ultimate goal is to go to med school. And the biggest identifier for me would be, I mean, obviously Latinx, um, and I also do like to identify as a first-generation student, and I think that's so important to bring up, especially this day and age when uh, it's such an important Kind of topic in the United States and like it it's a nice way to encourage people and to let other people know that you know you're not alone here I am as a first-gen student and we're thriving. Can you talk a little bit about uh your just involvements on campus and I guess why you're involved in those um activities? Yeah sorry I did forget to mention that so my biggest involvement is Latin American Student Union at the College of William Mary Public Health Brigades, um, Lafayette Kids, formerly I was, uh, I decided not to be a member this upcoming year again, but it was a great experience and super rewarding. Uh, AIM4, which is associated with the Office of Community Engagement at our college, and I believe, oh, the National Organization for Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers, which is sort of like a new organization that's popped up. Um, But most of it, as you can see, is either dedicated to service or to identity. Um, A lot of the stuff that I do uh, involves leadership roles, uh, especially my senior year, like a lot of this involves leadership roles. Um, But I've learned really that through this whole process, like good and bad, I've kind of understood what I like and what I don't like and what, you know, I'm, I'm more passionate about and what I definitely needed to kind of step back from and it was a huge learning learning curve but i'm incredibly thankful that i've had all of these great experiences at william and mary yeah that's great um so i decided to have sarah as our first guest because what everything like every everything she's involved with on campus um and just how much she aims to also help other people find their identity while on campus. Um, And I thought that's very crucial, especially when trying to navigate through, you know, trying to find your identity, like who am I and, you know, why do I identify as this and finding, like she said, like that community um, part of it. So that's why I asked Sarah to be here today. Um, And I just wanted to know, what drew you uh, to accept the offer to be on the pod for POCs? So, I mean, if people don't know this party, I am Jasmine's sister. So I was definitely there through the creative process. Like I was there from the get-go of like, hey, this is an idea. 
that popped up and I really want to do it up until you created your account and down to the very last bit of like you sending out the first intro podcast. And so, I mean, I was just really ecstatic that you were creating a sort of creative space for yourself and for other people. Um, Because for me, that takes a lot of courage, like first and foremost, to acknowledge that you need a space to kind of be yourself, especially like a space dedicated to BIPOCs. And then secondly, like to do it, like a lot of people have these ideas brewing in their mind. Um, and it, it doesn't get far, like that's as, that's as far as it gets, you know, like putting those thoughts into action and into like something tangible, I think takes a lot of courage. So to me, uh, being there during the creative process and then like seeing the outcome and seeing something tangible was what drew me to be like, sure. Like, I, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, going off of that, I feel like, like you said, a lot of people, I guess, to some extent, realized that we needed something like this. Um, but obviously, it did take me a while to, you know, f- actually create it and be like, all right, I'm gonna do it. Um, and that's really fine. You know, it is what it is. And I think I was able to really create the idea and really you know marinate with a thought and really you know get into the whole creative process when I really realized that you know my identity it took me a while to get to where I am in terms of you know being able to identify myself as a Latinx um, and be able to identify myself in ways that I do and you mentioned earlier that you do identify as a first generation student could you define what that is for people that don't know sure so um it might be surprising to a few people but there are students out there that don't know what first gen is. Like I, I remember kind of explaining that to a few people like my freshman year when they would ask me. And it's like not a, I mean, it's not a big deal and I don't like fault them for that. I think that's just like part of our education, excuse me, part of our education system and like not teaching us what that is, or like, you know, people who are around us who aren't first gen. If you don't have people around you who are first gen, you won't know what that is. But essentially what first generation means is that in your family you are the first to go to college um, and that just doesn't it's not exclusive to the eldest sibling like I am but it includes essentially the whole generation that's with you so in our case that would include me Jasmine our other sister Bixa and our youngest brother Anthony um, and so all of us are first generation yeah so that was the definition if you know there are people out there that don't know um, And that leads into my next question of how do you think being first generation has impacted your identity? And do you ever feel like you're a part of two worlds? Um, I know personally I've, you know, struggled in the past of being defined as, you know, not Hispanic enough because I wasn't born in the motherland of El Salvador. And sometimes I'm not, I guess, American enough because I still have certain traditions and and just cultural aspects still play a big part in our our lives and our family. Um, So do you ever feel like you're a part of two worlds? And if so, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so there is this really helpful kind of model um, that the educative system kind of like came up with. Like I was reading a lot of papers a few years back about this thing called the bicultural model. And essentially, there are people who are going to be very Anglo identifying. So that's a lot of like the U.S.'s culture, European culture, uh, things that are white essentially. Um, and then there is the Hispanic or Latinx cult, uh, model, essentially like the identity, sorry, 
um, which is, is, one is on one spectrum, so if this was the Anglo spectrum, this is the uh, Hispanic Latinx identity, and what this model says is that on this, this is a spectrum, so anybody can kind of like shift where they are on the spectrum, and I thought that was a very interesting way to think about it, but I didn't really like that idea, you know, that you could, you would essentially have to choose between two things, and like, toggle on that spectrum so for me it's not essential it's not necessarily being you know having to choose between one or the other but integrating both of these cultures into your identity and so my fresh not sorry not my freshman year when i was applying to william mary uh, one of my prompts was like how do you identify like what's your identity and i distinctly remember essentially saying that I loved hamburgers and I loved pupusas. And so I think for that, for a hot second, I was just like, okay, this is what it is. Like, it's not that I have to choose one or the other, it's that I can integrate both of them into my life and I can create a third space for myself um, without the need to compare myself to anybody else. You know, like that's where that the idea that you're not enough comes from. You know, ni de aquí, ni de allá. I've heard a lot of people say that. Personally, I don't, I don't use that. I never really heard it growing up, but uh, I have been told that I can't be a Salvadorian because, like, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't born there, you know, and, like, I, I'm American and I have to be American. Um, I mean, there's also an issue with the term American that I personally have, but that's another thing. Um, so, for me, like, context really matters um, in terms of that. So, if you're with a lot of other Latinx people, um, you might have to do code switching, especially, you know, you probably heard of this from from the black community where we're gonna talk a little differently than we would talk to white people. And for me, I, I have found as I journeyed through college that I was code switching in a way. Like sometimes you have to change your preferences. There was a point of point in time where I would say like, hey, my favorite food is pupusa. And then like following that, if it wasn't someone who was from Latin America, I would have to explain what a pupusa is. And like it's taxing but for me it was also rewarding because i was like i'm not going to change what i like to satisfy kind of your understanding of this world like you should be understanding about this and i hope that the next time somebody brings up a pupusa or an arepa or no say like um lomo saltado you know like you're gonna know what that is um and so that's how i've navigated this like first generation world is like coming to terms with my own identity, uh, not having to choose one or the other, but creating my own, like my own uniqueness, you know, like I'm not gonna be like anybody else. So why try to fit into this model that is essentially making me choose between two things? Yeah, I think I definitely have a very similar outlook in terms of identity, because I guess really brought into the realm, I guess, of trying to figure out your identity, because obviously, at one point you know you kind of come to terms with you know the world and how everyone identifies differently and and you have a, kind of a choice to go about that and so when i started exploring you know who i was what i was and um you know all that i also fell into that whole like and i don't really know where i'm from because you know i can speak two languages but just because i can do that doesn't mean that i'm captive to one or the other and i think that's so beautiful in terms of you know being able to be bilingual um and that kind of goes into the next point in terms of what you were talking about code switching um 
which to some extent I've never, I think like sat down and really thought about it, but I do realize that when I talk to, you know, white people, I will like talk professionally, you know, I'll really bring out my best vocab, like, you know, those really high words, you know, but when I talk to other BIPOCs, um, I really, I, I just talk normally, you know, I tend to use slang like y'all or, or just like a bunch of slang in general that I just prefer to, you know, communicate with. But especially when I'm at William Mary, I, you know, I rarely use that type of slang and that type of way to communicate um, if I know that there are white people around me just because I feel like the College of William Mary, it's a very prestigious institution, first one in the country. Um, technically Harvard, eh, you know, that whole thing. But, um, and I think it goes back to the point where do you personally, do you feel comfortable at William Mary? You feel like it's an environment where you can truly express yourself and, and that, um, you know, in another way, does it truly love you? How do you feel about that? That's a really interesting question because I think I've struggled with that same, you know, feeling of, welcome and feeling of like uh belonging at william mary because they have the slogan you know like you belong here that's kind of what they like market to all the incoming freshmen and like prospective students and they'll tell you even during orientation which is this like little weekend that they give you to kind of get situated at william mary as an incoming student like they'll they'll preach that all the time and so initially like i felt a little off because my friends from high school were all Latina, first generation, like we're just trying to make it out there in the world and like prove our parents wrong type, you know? And so getting to William Mary, I was like, this is a lot of white people. I think for the first two days, I was like, this is a lot of white people. Like I haven't ever seen so many white people together. Like it's just so, there's a cognitive dissonance, honestly. And so um, initially I think I, I was like, I retreated a little bit and I was like, I don't know how I feel, you know, like, and I'm terrified that I'm going to code switch subconsciously or I'm going to change my preferences to, to fit their normality and their understanding of the world. And like, I didn't want to do that. And I think that's why I actively don't say that, like, my favorite food is spaghetti or pizza or something like that, you know, <laughs> um, but after meeting some incredibly wonderful people at William Mary, I think I started to feel like I belonged uh, in a sense. And I didn't mean it as like, this is like my second home away from home. Like I never thought it that way, but I thought like everyone that I've met so far who I've really become close friends with have been very kind, inclusive people. Even the white people that I've met, most of them have been like very kind, inclusive white people. And so I felt comfortable around them. And I think I did quote, like when you were talking about it, I was kind of reflecting, I was like, did I code switch? Like in terms of professional talking? Um, and I think I did, especially for white people, but never in terms of my culture. So perhaps like saying, not saying y'all or not saying like, you know, other slang words, but I definitely kind of elevated that subconsciously. Um, which didn't deter me from feeling a sense of belonging, nor did I ever not feel welcomed. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. I do know people who didn't like the experience. And, you know, my feeling of belonging doesn't invalidate that, nor am I going to think, like, that's just one case and everybody else is okay. Like, no, your experience is valid. <laughs> and 
what you felt and what you experienced at William Mary is on the same level to what I experienced. Like there's never anything wholly good or wholly bad in this world. And that's just a fact of the matter. As you grow up, you start to understand that there are good and bad sides to absolutely everything there is out there. You talked about your kind of transition into college, saying that you didn't, to some extent, feel that sense of belonging, and I definitely agree with that. Um, I know in my intro, I kind of, you know, talked a little bit about how I was struggling my first semester, Um, and I think if I'm looking back and I'm really reflecting on it, um, I think most of it came from the fact that my whole hall was white, you know, like almost my whole building was white. There were, there were... Uh, honestly there were maybe a, a like maybe 10 or 5 or 10 BIPOCs in that whole building right and so I think Sarah had prepared me to some extent for that she was like hey William Mary is a primarily white institution you will see a lot, lot of white people because I mean to give a little context we went to school at Justice High School in Falls Church Virginia which was majority you know BIPOC and a lot, like a very high percentage of, of um, Latinx students. So, you know, we were kind of um, used to being in that environment with other Latinos, Latinas, and Latinxes just in that, in that space. Um, and so I mentally prepared. I was like, okay, there's going to be a lot of white people. Yeah, yeah, I got that. But um, I, I don't think I, I truly got the magnitude of it until I stepped on that campus, you know, walked up to my room. And on my first time going to my new room, I saw only white kids. Um, you know, and it really, I think it kind of stressed me out. And I was like, I really don't belong here. And I remember for the first two weeks, I really didn't see, you know, a lot of Hispanic people um, or Latinx people. And I was just really discouraged by that because I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to have to coach switch for for the next four years. I'm, I'm going to have to figure out what white people like and, and talk about that because there's no way that I can make friends. And I feel like within the first month, I was so stressed out by that, that I, I hated meeting new people. I hated going outside of my comfort zone and really meeting new people. And for the people that know me, you know, including Sarah, like, I love meeting new people. I love talking to new people. So that was very foreign to me to kind of just stay in and, and into my room and not really go outside of that. Um, but I think when I met Lawsu, when I met more BIPOC on campus, like I really realized that, you know, this place is a welcoming community. And of course, you know, allies of BIPOC um, and white people who I met that were literally the nicest people that I had met before and that I knew, you know, you know weren't bad. They weren't, you know, I guess, what I had thought. Oh, do you have any follow-ups on that or anything you want to add to that? I mean, I think that it's interesting that this is only the cultural layer kind of side to this, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so much more underlying it instead uh, on top of like uh, getting to a PWI, like there was this idea of stress culture, which I was exposed to for the first time, like my friends in high school and my best friend Diana, like both of us, I think, were really intelligent and, like, would get really good grades, but there was never this idea of, like, perfection or achieving A's, like, mm-hmm. and for the first time at William Mary, I was like, oh, like, people really will get upset for not having an A, like, I didn't understand that, um, and so that kind of, like, spiraled into imposter syndrome, like, this feeling of, of, you know, like, sooner or later, all these people, these really smart, like, intelligent, compassionate people are gonna find out that, like, 
I'm faking it. You know, like they're going to find out that I'm actually not as smart as they think I am. Like that maybe I didn't really belong here. And like these ideas of like reaching a quota for William and Mary, like with their minority and BIPOC students. And so it was hard to understand that you do like you're you're smart you got in here not because of the color of your skin perhaps you know like you got in here because you were intelligent they could have easily turned your application away without another glance but they took the time to read it and to say okay we're going to open the door up to this person who we find valuable because at the end of the day like Mary is also a business like sorry to break it to you if you don't know but colleges are also a business and so essentially what they're doing is that they're going to they're going to get the best people ever because they're making an investment giving you an admission to um later on reap the rewards and essentially if you're going to be a good student if you're going to be a good leader if you're going to do well uh in on campus life and be somebody once you graduate they're gonna they're gonna believe in that potential and so what they're seeing is like this seed that can sprout into like a magnificent flower but the scary thing is that out of a hundred seeds you're maybe like one of ten at this institution because there are so there's such a small amount such a small percentage of of latinx people at a predominantly institution and so you might find yourself as the only Latinx person in a class, especially outside of humanities, like in the science and STEM fields, you might be the only person out there who's Latinx. And it sucks because then you have to struggle with the idea of like, do I want to be tokenized? Do I want to be like, you know, do I want to uh, expose these people to my culture and talk about these like tough issues? But also I don't want them to tokenize me and say, you know, like, oh, you're Latinx, so you must understand this, or you must, you know, give us your input on a certain topic. Like, there's a balance you have to carry, honestly. And I think that's the biggest struggle at, like, any PWI being a BIPOC is, like, you're constantly having to balance every single thing around you. Um, and there's, like, an internalized battle of whether or not you want to engage in conversation to educate other people, or to encourage other people to be reliant on you. And I think that's sucks, like it's so hard. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that because I feel like I've definitely, you know, toggled with that and trying to figure out, oh, do I wanna speak about, you know, what it really, or what my experience has been being part of like the Latinx community and talk about some of the things, you know, like how, you know, we use homemade remedies sometimes instead of going to a doctor because we know that this works and sometimes doctors you know don't give good advice you know and it is what it is you know that's the reality of the situation and you know i have in the past been like oh do i want to bring that up um or do i not because if i bring it up there's a possibility that one they pity me or they pity my beautiful culture and i don't want anyone to think that you know because we do certain things you know like like home remedies and stuff like that because we do that that we are seen as any less or seen as not as smart or seen as not as uh, innovative because we decide to go on a more traditional route, if you will. Um, and so I, I think that definitely that definitely has played a big impact on, you know, how I communicate to my professors, how I communicate to other other students uh, that aren't BIPOC, that aren't Latinx in my class, because I don't want them to have this perception of me that, oh, like she got into the school just because 
she's Hispanic just because she's Latinx. Like, that's why she got in. Oh, she's not smart. It's because of the color of her skin. And no, it's not. It's frankly not, you know, because like you said, they could have easily rejected my application, but they didn't because they saw something in me. And I think that's something that I, you know, sometimes still struggle with because, you know, let's say I get a bad exam score. I'm like, dang, I don't belong here. I wasn't meant to go here. I'm not smart enough to be here. So maybe, maybe the other people were right. Maybe I, I literally got in just because of the color of my skin. And I remember that some people in high school, not to me personally, but I had some friends um, who had other people say that to them, to their faces that, oh, you got in because, you know, you have brown skin. And I was like, wow, I'm that's a very interesting outlook on the world and I'm really sorry that you do have that outlook. Um, and I think in, in times like that, those, you really have to, you know, have people around you to really motivate you. Because when I heard those stories, I cried with them, you know, because that's not something that you want to hear. Um, and having, you know, those group of people or that community with you really helps to realize that we do belong in this world, you know, just because our, our, the color of our skin is a little different than I guess what, society thinks is perfection um you know just because it's different doesn't mean that we don't belong here um and that goes into my next question um what groups either you know on campus off campus or in your hometown have really been an integral part um, to find your identity so i think um every group that i mentioned at the beginning so you know Nobuche, the national organization for black chemists and chemical engineers public health brigade for uh, latin american student union lafayette kids um in in an in a way they all contributed to my identity um and i think they did it did so differently so with lafayette kids predomin they predominant predominantly excuse me worked with uh mentorship and like uh education and stuff like that and so I realized kind of late into the game that I don't, I didn't like the education part of it. Like I, what I really wanted the most was like mentorship and like being a mentor to other people. Because like you said at the beginning, it was pretty spot on. Like I strive to encourage other people to find their own identity, to kind of seek their own path. Um, but I don't want people to kind of feel like they're alone or isolated or that they can't turn to anybody for help. Um, and so with that, like, Lawsu has also played an important role in shaping my Latinx identity and figuring out, you know, especially, like, creating that third space and not having to choose between either or and realizing that there are Latinx people who don't speak Spanish. There are Latinx people who um, were born in the U.S. Uh, others were born in Latin American countries. There are people who came from rural towns in the U.S.A. There are people who came from cities and from the suburbs like Fairfax right and so I don't want to box the term Latinx to only be inclusive of the history that is most uh, publicized really you know like the whole history of like California and Texas and like that's where all the like Latinx people are and those are where the real Latinx people are and where the culture is at like no you can find it anywhere even in Williamsburg which seems to be like at first glance, probably just for old white people who want to retire, right? Um, you can find your uh, Salvi-like uh, store, like, you know, you can find your Salvi uh, restaurant that sells you pupusas and like, like, that's not, it's not something that's exclusive to a region, right? And like the history of Latinx identity and like 
in the United States isn't just the Chicano movements in California. It's not just the immigration patterns across the Mexico-US border. It's the shops that were built up in New York City, you know, like the Puerto Rican people and Dominican people uh, who, who kind of compromise, compromise, um, not compromise, compose uh, all of these like great communities in, in like, uh, in New York City, you know, like it's the small areas in Northern Virginia that have these cultural, this cultural richness. Um, you can find Colombian restaurants up here. You can find Salvadorian restaurants up here. You can find Peruvian chicken around the corner probably, right? And so it's not just farm workers and like labor workers. Like we're also first gen. We're also going to be in the future, like probably the biggest population in the United States. Like we're growing and I think people don't recognize that. Like we like to limit our cohesive and collective identity on being like working class, like people. And like, that just might not be reflective of what's happening. Now it's, a, it's an important part of our history and identity, but we also have much more to offer. And so I think coming from a family who is incredibly supportive and open, uh, to me finding out who I am and like all of us having in, like open conversations about machismo, education, toxic masculinity, racism, uh, religion, uh, even topics that are uh, deemed taboo by a lot of households like sex. Like it's something that we talk about, something you should be educated on. And I'm incredibly thankful for our parents who, like our sister says, like, no quieren tapar el sol con un dedo, like, you're, you're not gonna put a band-aid over it, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna fix any type of problem if you kind of swerve around it and don't hit it head on. So in terms of who's really shaped my identity, I think it's been all of these experiences, but predominantly um, my family, lawsuit, and then like whatever reflective work that I've done with the Office of Community Engagement, because they have fed my kind of civic-minded identity in terms of like what does service mean to me and like how can I better serve my community like what's up ahead and what values do I hold like they've been an integral part in trying to determine what I want from my future self what I want what kind of values I want in my life yeah yeah I definitely think that's that's really important for a lot of you know, BIPOC in general, um, including Latinx, because it's really important to, you know, navigate that. And like you said, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to navigate that whole identity on their own because, you know, that really, that really suck, you know? And like you said, I, I definitely agree that on campus, it would be glossy, you know? I mean, we're both part of, you know, the executive team there. And I think we're, we've been doing really great stuff, you know, to help others get to their identity and then really educate people on Latinidad in general. Um, also going back to our family, I feel like you covered it all. You know, we are very much trying to figure it out all together and, and realizing that you it, it, you don't have to fit any certain box and you're really allowed to go outside of that box. You know, you don't have to stay between the lines when you color, like you literally can go all over the paper um, and that's really fine. And do you have any last words before um, we, you know, end this discussion? Yeah, so um, before I, I do start like my, uh, like little conclusion, little ending. I do want to add that um, one experience that Jasmine and I had in 
Justice High School is when we returned, I think it was after your first year, um, we returned to our school because uh, they do like a college fair sort of type deal with uh, students, alumni from, from our high school. And I distinctly remember, and I'm pretty sure you're gonna remember this too, there was a girl who didn't think that there were people who looked like us on campus. Like we came back and we're promoting William and Mary and we're telling people like, hey, it's, it's not perfect, it's not a utopia, I'm not gonna try to like sugarcoat it, but there are people out there who look like us. Like it's not all uh, humanities majors like interested in history and English who are white at William and Mary. Like there are minority students who, uh, love science, love healthcare, want to go into like medicine, or maybe want to go into research um, on our campus. And she was like super surprised about that. But she actually is now an incoming student at William & Mary. And so I think the turning point for her in like realizing that this was an attainable institution and like somewhere where she could thrive uh, was us kind of like coming in and explaining that. So I think for anybody who's doubting that, um, and this this is also part of my closing remarks. Um, anybody doubting about their experience or their identity and like how impactful that is, like there's no need to doubt, first of all, because <laughs> um, anybody out there in the world is gonna want to hear your experience. You know, like you can be a vessel for other people to recognize that there are infinite amounts of opportunities for you. It's not just dependent on your past experience, your family background, your socioeconomic status. Like there are connections, small and large, that you can make with people who are like you, who might be as reflective as you. Um, and they can help you and guide you in like figuring out who you are. Um, so one thing that I tell our exec team all the time uh, about appreciating uh, themselves and like uh, a form of practicing self-care is like, don't shortchange yourself. I've done it a lot, don't do it. You deserve the recognition that you can get. You deserve that achievement that you just, you know, achieve. You deserve the love that you, you get, you know, like you, I'm not gonna say you deserve the love that you get because I know there are a lot of people who might not get the love that they deserve, but you deserve infinite amounts of bountiful love. That's what I wanna say. Going off of that, I think, it's, you know, it's crazy because sometimes, you know, as BIPOCs, we kind of don't realize that sometimes we are the first doing that, you know, sometimes we are the first in the family, in the community, you know, paving those paths. So obviously it's going to be a little harder. And sometimes, I mean, me personally, I've compared myself to people who have that, who have had an advantage, uh, whether that be in high school with certain resources that I didn't like SAT or ACT prep um, or tutoring, like one-on-one -on -one tutoring, you know, unfortunately I didn't have the opportunity to have that. Um, whereas some of my, you know, um, some of the other people in my classes, like they have had that. Um, and I think it's so important to recognize that we're paving the path, you know, so it's going to be a little more difficult. But at the end of the day, we're gonna get to where we need to because we're so hardworking and because we know just how much it takes to really grind for what we want, which some people aren't gonna aren't gonna be able to know. And that just makes you as an individual, you know, just even better, um, regardless of what, you know, career or what uh field you go into. So if you're listening to us right now and you're doubting, you know, if you can make it into college or make it in the world, you can. You can put in the work, you know, here we are literally telling you, put in the work and you'll see outcomes. You know, if you guys 
want to talk to us about more about our personal experiences or, or really, I guess, how we came to the conclusion that we can do it, um, let us know. You know, you guys have my information. And, and Sarah, where can um, they contact you to hear more about your story or, or ask things? So, yeah, uh, I did forget to mention my contacts, but the most direct way to, to reach me would be through Instagram. Um, it is at sa.ra.martinez, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z. Definitely follow me on Instagram. Um, and then DM me if you want to know more about public health, pre-med track, uh, neurosciences major, uh, the Latinx identity, um, the messiness of Latinidad in general. Um, if you have any questions as well, like I'm more than happy to answer those. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, if you want to reach out through that way and like messenger as well um yeah just look me up like sarah martinez and you'll probably reach me yeah all right thank you sarah so much for coming on uh to this episode today talking about identity and just getting an insight um to how identity has impacted you and really setting up i guess for the rest of the season just talking to our other speakers um about their identity um, and just a bunch of other, you know, paths that they have uh, trying to figure that out. So thank you. For sure. Thank you for inviting me. And I can't wait for the next podcast to come out. This was the pod for POCs. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and be on the lookout for episodes coming really soon. Don't forget, I love you and see you next time. Adios.